Hello, my lovelies. This is May Kay Sang, your podcast guesting strategist and mentor, cat lover, and the proud host of the Quiet Rebels podcast. This is the place for experts on the rise who are finally ready to stop playing small and to start showing up as the leader they've always been. And contrary to what you might think, you don't have to be the loudest person in the room in order to be heard. You've always been the type to see things differently, and you've always chosen another pathway if the one laid out in front of you just doesn't align with your way of life. You're not alone in this. So to help you on your journey, I'm bringing conscious conversations to the table with myself and guest experts who will help you with the inner work that needs to be done in order to make a positive impact on the world with what you do. I see you. And now it's time to hear you, my friend. So please welcome to The Quiet Rebellion. You're listening to The Quiet Rebels podcast, episode number 61. And my dear, lovely quiet rebel, this interview has been attempted four times. We managed to get on the fourth. You know how they say third time's lucky? Yeah, not always, so... It's been actually four attempts and we finally managed to get it on the fourth go, which is absolutely amazing because I wasn't going to stop because this conversation had to happen and here's why. There are so many incredible entrepreneurs out there, yourself included, who often come across this monster called imposter complex. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying complex and not syndrome, but I'll let my guest unpack that one for you. But what I'm saying is that there are so many of us who we actually have proven track records of our experience. We have the testimonials, we have the case studies, we have the certifications, we have the knowledge and the know-how. But for some reason, there are moments in our businesses, sometimes they stretch out for a long period of time, sometimes they just randomly come up during the day. But there are many times that we feel like absolute imposters in our business, even though all of the facts tell us otherwise. And that's why the fourth time round, (laughs) I managed to get this interview underway because it's such an important conversation to have. And my guest is the expert when it comes to imposter complex. She's going to be walking us through the 12 lies we tell ourselves and how imposter complex really shows up in our lives. There are actually six major ways that it shows up. We also talk about how to reframe it because it seems like this big enemy, but much like fears, they're just showing parts of ourselves that we just haven't fully unpacked yet. And it's just manifesting in a way that is very uncomfortable to see, is very uncomfortable to experience. But I want to help you navigate through this conversation And my special guest is the person to talk about it with us. And I've got to be very honest. Imposter Complex is really coming up for me a lot right now. And the reason why is because I'm experiencing a rapid expansion of growth in my business, both on a financial perspective, both on a office perspective. There's just so many things happening. And you bet your honey buns that Imposter Complex is like, nope. No, 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 no. (laughs) Let's get you back into where you were. So it's almost like it reels me back into my comfort zone. But I'll tell you what, I will not let imposter complex deter me from what I'm creating here because (sighs) I've mentioned this 
more privately than I have publicly right now, but I want you to hear it from me, that I'm on a mission to revolutionize what it means to be visible in the online space today. Because I wholeheartedly believe that the advice, and by advice I'm really putting my like finger quotes, and I'm not giving the middle finger, but like, you know, the, the quotes on quote fingers in the air right now, air quotes, that's what they're called. <laughs> Being told to put yourself out there has never cut it for me. And upon many private conversations, it's never made the cut for anybody. And there's a reason for it. It's because it doesn't acknowledge the real reason why people aren't showing up. And my lovely, it's not because you're not prioritizing it. There's a reason why it's on the back burner. There's a reason why it always falls to the bottom of your priority list. And it's not due to scheduling issues. Because if something was that important to you, you'd make it happen, right? So I really want to bring this conversation up about sustainable visibility. And I'm sharing this with you right now because what I've learned about my human design, so yes, I'm learning so much about myself right now, and my human design is a manifester. And a manifester's way to create the things that they're meant to is by informing others. So by telling you, my lovely, I want to let you know that this movement is happening. Sustainable visibility is going to be the forefront conversation I'm going to be bringing to the table around this topic of visibility. Because it is so clear to me from speaking with so many of you behind the scenes, whether it's DMs or email exchanges, I know that what's out there right now, it doesn't align with you. And so I'm on a mission to discover what it is that's going to help you integrate visibility in a way that's so sustainable for you because it feels good, because it aligns with you, because it's the way you want to be seen. And so that's my little update for you before we dive into today's interview. And trust me, my friend, you are in wonderful company. You are truly not alone if you've ever felt like an imposter. And so I'm so, so excited to bring to you the amazing Tanya Geisler onto the podcast today to share about how you can make friends with this, how you can reframe it, how it can actually be a source of strength. So I'm not going to dilly-dally anymore. Let's get into it. Hello, my lovely quiet rebels. Oh my God. Okay. So this interview has been a long time coming. This is actually our fourth try. It's not going to be an attempt. It's our fourth go and this is actually going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason why I'm so, so psyched to have this conversation and why I would go three tries (laughs) to make this happen is because the topic that we're going to be talking about today is with my incredible guest who is, I'm going to be like definitely digging into the story. She calls herself a reluctant expert on the imposter complex. So if you don't know what imposter complex is, in her words, Um, on her website she says it's about if you ever feel like you've ever doubted your capacity and you feel alone and isolated and unable to take action that may be imposter complex 
And it's something that plagues many of our minds, especially as quiet rebels, because we're so purpose-driven, wanting to do so so much good in the world. And so my special guest today is here to help us understand where this comes from and to really like make friends with it so that way we can make an impeccable impact. So please join me in welcoming the amazing Tanya Geisler. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so delighted to be here. And when I think about this being our fourth try, it's so funny because it feels like it's been a lifetime. <laughs> we actually only met like a couple months ago, back in, well, March, which was truly a lifetime ago. Mm. But that was the last any of us did any traveling before lockdown. We were at mm. the, right? The yes. Copywriters Club um, in real life in San Diego. That was amazing. I was speaking about the imposter complex there. And mm-hmm. yeah, that was wonderful. So. And actually, you may not remember this, Tanya, but last summer is actually when I first got to know you because you actually did a private workshop inside the Think Tank Mastermind. And I know I was one of the many faces, so I don't blame you for not remembering me. <laughs> I sure do remember that, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Uh, that was a huge like eye-opening moment of oh my god this is it and then I was so so thrilled to find out that you you were running a panel on imposter complex and I love that so I'm just give you guys a background um at TCC IRL the copywriter club in real life um Tanya actually ran you know this panel where like a group of brave souls like braced (laughs) the stage and you know they just actually really share their experiences of what it was like to feel like an imposter. Even, like, even though their credentials, their experience and their knowledge, they actually all point them towards being an expert. They still didn't see themselves that way. And so I love how Tanya like, really facilitated that conversation to really help everyone in the room feel like they really went alone. So I've been so excited. And I just, I just like, I just had to take the lead and be like, Tanya, could you come onto the podcast? Because I really want to talk about this to my quiet rebel. And hey, here we are. Here we are. At <laughs> last. Wonderful. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Amazing. So Tanya, I have to know, why are you a reluctant expert in the imposter complex? And what's the journey there? How did you become the person to you know, speak about this whole idea? So gosh like every time I start these conversations I'm like mm, which door to go through how far back to go um I have been saying that I'm a reluctant expert for a while because here's how the universe works right like it's a, this is the other thing like do I start with here's how the universe works you <laughs> uh, already know that I'm pretty woo now you know the universe works in a certain way if you say that you are an expert in something it is going to test your mettle at every single opportunity, right? So I always joke about how, you know, my friend Randy Buckley, um, she does a lot of work with boundaries. So her boundaries need to get tested at every turn. Me, I've said that this is my work in the world for reasons I'll get into in a moment. And for, and as a result, things get really meta. So every time... <laughs> I step onto a new stage every time I, you know, when I get to my next level, I have to come up against the imposter complex. And it says, really, really, are you the one? It's just a matter of time before they find out you don't actually know as much as they think that you do. So that requires me to continue to stress test my own work, my own Mm. depth of analysis, which means I'm a reluctant expert. It didn't, I didn't go looking for this. It came to find me. 
And at every single turn, it shows up and says, here I am again, what you going to do about it? So my work isn't actually about eradicating our lived experience from the imposter complex. It really is about switching on the light switch faster, you know, like mm-hmm. flipping that on faster or having what the Buddhist monks call a faster recovery. So that's what I mean. And of course, I'm writing a book about the imposter complex. So you can only imagine how meta that gets, mm-hmm. right? Right? <laughs> the imposter yeah. complex around writing a book around the imposter complex. So that's just been the ongoing journey. And the truth is, it is just a faster recovery time and time and time and time and time again. How it found me, though, was, you know, when you mentioned me doing a little work with your mastermind group last year, and I named the thing for you, and you felt like there was this expansion, right? This sort of this like new understanding of this way that you've been maybe going through the world, and it felt like relief. Mm-hmm. That's my greatest joy. That is just my greatest joy because I remember what that felt like for me the first time it was named. You know, all of my life, um, no matter how successful I had been in different you know, stages and phases of my life in different seasons, I would often chalk it up to luck, fluke, timing, or having somehow managed to convince people I was smarter or more capable than I actually was, like every time. And so when it was named for me uh, as the imposter well, phenomenon, I just felt this oh, big, huge sigh of relief. Yeah, this peace that if I could see it, I could understand it. Um, and if I could understand it, then I could make different choices. And so that's really my deepest desire for other people as well. So when I found my way into coaching, which is a very circuitous path, I started working right off the bat with really high profile folks. I, you know, I was working with Tara Sophia Moore. Danielle Laporte was a fan of my work. Uh, so I was working with people functioning at a very high level with you know, mm-hmm. books and New York Times authors and um, on the Today Show. So of course, my imposter complex was rankled and I couldn't help but, not, but, but see that it didn't matter how extraordinary my clients were and what they were up to they still had this through line riveting through their lived experience too, that it was just a matter of time before people found out they weren't quite as capable as they thought they were, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, was, I just recognized that in myself and I recognized it didn't, doesn't seem to matter how, how at the top of the game somebody is, they're going to have this experience. So what do we choose? How do we respond? What do we do differently? Uh, and that became, that was really when I started to land the plane on this work. Actually, that's not quite true. What happened was I was invited to do a TEDx talk. Mm. And I'll tell you, there is nothing like being given 20 scant minutes to figure out what is the most important message for you to come up with. And so the actual, the theme was the space in between what is real and what we believe. So as a coach, that just gave me, that's it. There's a whole world of possibility in there. But I recognize this grand mama of all types of resistance as the imposter complex. And so I did my TEDx talk back in 2012 or 13. Oh my goodness, it's a million years ago. And that has been the body of my work since then. The majority of what I talk about and the analysis that I'm continuing to do, lots of different intersections and how it reveals itself depending on who you are and your upbringing, et cetera, et cetera. We can get into that. But that's, that's really how I kind of landed the plane on this as the focus point. It had been, you know, a traveling companion for me 
uh, it was an omnipresent force in my clients. And it was the thing that I just had an intrinsic understanding of. That's why we are having this conversation today. Oh, gosh, there's so much to unpack here. Absolutely. And before we do, I noticed that you mentioned that there was this imposter phenomenon. And so I think, you know, as we're towards the beginning of this conversation, can you share with us why it's imposter complex and not imposter syndrome, which is what almost everybody says? <laughs> I know. Seriously, I just I just had an email with my SEO person this morning who was like, <sighs> why can't you just give over to syndrome? <laughs> Again, I'm not sure which door to go into because all the doors lead to such goodness. I like always attributing my teachers. So imposter phenomenon is the term coined by clinical psychologist Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes back in 1978. So they were working with high-functioning, high-achieving women at Oberlin College and recognized the same through line that I was recognizing in my clients, which was this... It didn't matter how successful they were, they would always chalk it up to luck, fluke timing, or having somehow managed to convince people they were smarter, more capable than they actually were, right? Just like me, just like my clients. Their failures, on the other hand, they were more than able to identify with. So that is where the first time the imposter phenomenon was, was named as such. Now, obviously, the experience predates the naming by Clance and Imes in 78. It's, you know, bioevolutionary scientists can point it back to an instrument of evolution to make sure we don't mutate too fast. Mm -hmm. uh, we have, we've seen texts that talk about chala or fraud factor, you know, that ancient sages of India used. Uh, apparently the Buddha has talked about it in some language. I actually haven't, in some language, I mean, some specific verbiage. I haven't been able to track that down, but that's, that's the way the story goes. So it is part of our tribal need to belong. Mm -hmm. And so it is endlessly fascinated and endlessly obsessed with where, how we are relating to others. Are we way ahead or are we way behind? So it is deeply concerned and has us being fearful of both success and failure. Okay. So it's obviously there's a lot here. So that was Clance and Imes talking about the imposter phenomenon and then over time, I think maybe it was Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In that really popularized imposter syndrome. I don't use syndrome, much to dismay, like I say, of my SEO people, uh, because it's inaccurate. Uh, it's actually not a clinical diagnosis. And I just am concerned about co-opting medical terms mm -hmm. that can you know, be problematic for folks who actually are dealing with syndromes. And I think that also we're starting to see a bit of a backlash where people are like, you know, don't diagnose me with a so-called syndrome, mm -hmm. which I think is really important. So it's a, mm -hmm. it's a complexity of emotions. It is complex, that's for sure. And I've actually had a conversation with Pauline Clance, several conversations, and she continues to use, they continue to use syndrome, uh, phenomenon, pardon me. I use complex. She and I have debated whether we think Jung would agree that it's an actual complex or not. Other folks talk about it being, you know, um, Amy Cuddy, I think, talks about the imposter experience, but it's not a syndrome. And I think that to call it a syndrome can be problematic for those who actually deal with medically diagnosed syndromes. Um, mm -hmm. And straight up, just like those 
folks that they were working, plants and mimes were working with, when you have imposter, you know, complex, it means by definition, and this is such good news, that you have those strong values of mastery, integrity, and excellence. And that integrity is a really important piece. So once we know that syndrome can be slightly problematic i'm using air quotes mm -hmm. on that because it's not you know as problematic as some other things that are happening i think we can you know do a little bit better mm. oh my god so in a way it's actually a good thing <laughs> if we identify mm. with having imposter complex because as you said um mastery integrity and uh what was the last one excellence and ex oh, excellence mm -hmm. there we go mm -hmm. and so could you kind of dig a little bit deeper into that why why does having imposter complex actually showcase that we have these beautiful qualities? Well, it's really, and you know, that's such a great question. I've never actually been asked in that specific way. I feel like the other part is that I, I like to just name that you're experiencing it because of those strong values. Actual frauds don't feel like frauds. Actual imposters mm. don't feel like imposters. And I think that we have such, you know, it, it's sort of a double-edged arrow. You know, we have these desires to be exceptional at what we do, but in that exceptionality, are we exceptional enough, right? So that's mm -hmm. the tension that lives inside of this experience. And I think that oftentimes we hedge on our expression of how exceptional we really are because we're terrified of, being perceived as those people who have the opposite experience, which is the Dunning-Kruger effect. Mm. So if people with imposter uh, complex have, you know, high, high, high capacity, but maybe I'll just call it lower self-esteem or lower cognitive awareness of, of their excellence, Dunning-Kruger would be like the complete opposite. Mm. Uh, so little proven track record, but super high, high, high confidence in their own estimation. So I think that that can be a part of it. So not only would I say that um, folks at the imposter complex have those values of mastery, integrity, and excellence, I think there's also a beautiful value of humility that lives here. There's a beautiful mm. value of connection. And so that's also a really important part for me to be able to name that there are these 12 lies that we believe that the imposter complex has us believe there are these certain behavioral traits that it has us going and hiding out in including perfectionism ding 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 procrastination diminishment leaky boundaries comparison and people pleasing and so most of these we spend a lot of time in the self-development space telling us that we are wrong stop doing those things like slap slap, slap. <laughs> and it's not as easy as that and we go to those behaviors because we are so relational. So it's sort of a, a chicken and an egg kind of thing. We experience mm. the imposter complex because of those natural set points of excellence and integrity and, and humility and all of that. But then in, because of that, we experience it that much more. And I can go into that a bit more too. Does that oh, yes. help a little bit to unpack how yes, that shows up? Okay, yes definitely would love to go into the different ways that imposter complex shows up but before we do mm. I'm so interested in these 12 lies now I've heard you speak about this before yeah but I want you to say again <laughs> for for our amazing audience here so what are the lies that we believe Okay, so as I go through these lies and you're paying attention some are going to feel like just, you know, an absolute arrow to your heart and others are not going to resonate whatsoever. 
I think that's good news because I think that if we believed all of the lies all at the same time, we would never get out of bed. So even though some of these may be up for you in a particular moment, that doesn't mean the others won't show up as well. And then, you know, just, just rejoice that you don't experience them all at the same time. So because they're 12, I'm just going to make sure that I'm making, getting all of them. So self-doubt is proof of your inadequacy is the first one. And now each one of these, you understand, can be like an entire chapter of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do dig into these a little bit more in a series on my site. It's at Tanya Geisler slash 12 lies, one, mm-hmm. two lies. So you can dig in a little bit deeper. Yeah. Thank you. So self-doubt is proof of your inadequacy, right? So it's this like, ha, if I didn't experience self-doubt, then I would be fantastic, right? So I feel self-doubt, therefore I must be inadequate is the logical leap that we are making. But I'll just remind you all that self-doubt is proof of your humanity. And the fact that you are in the question of can I do better? Can I deliver at a higher level? Um, can I, can I, can That actually tells me that you are, you know, a great manager, a great team leader, a great coach, a great quiet rebel. Like you are leading people in this way that is very connected for communion matters. Anyway, I won't get into all of them this way, but I just want you to see. So that's like right off the bat, self-doubt is proof of your inadequacy is the first place. Okay. Second, successful people don't experience this. <laughs> so you look at all the people that you see on your Instagram feed, or you see at the front of the stage, or you're reading their books, or you're listening to make a talk right now. And you think well, there's no way that they experience it. I remind you that you are an excellent company. The higher they have to climb, whoever these generalized other are, they, the higher they have to fall. And everybody's afraid of that. You are in excellent company and you are not alone. Line number three is you are all or nothing. It is obsessed with competence extremities. You are either a success or a failure. There is nothing in between. Okay. Line number four, you have nothing useful, original, important to say. So of course, when we believe this lie, we say nothing. We pass up opportunities to collaborate, to communicate, to do the things that we want to do so deeply and desperately. Uh, number five is you must not tell anyone about this. So this is where the imposter complex kind of pays you a little bit of hush money to keep it quiet, but everything is a contradiction. So line number six is you must tell everyone about this, right? <laughs> Make sure that everybody knows how you are feeling, how you are feeling less than that. You kind of winged it. You don't know how that, paper ended up being published because you really didn't know what you were talking about, right? That's really important. Line number seven, oof, you're not ready yet. Not perfect enough. Yeah. This is a curious one because this is one time that the imposter complex actually does give you a little bit of slack, right? You will be ready one day, but Mm -hmm. that day unfortunately isn't today, honey. Mm -hmm. When you get the next certification or when that big name client says yes, or, 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 then you'll be ready. But that day isn't today. Line number eight, it's just a matter of time before this all crumbles beneath you. Line number uh, nine is, oh, sorry. Line number eight, you'll never be able to pull that off again. You'll never be able to pull that off again. So you did something Mm. fantastic, but you're never going to be able to pull it off again. And here's what happened to the one hit wonder. They gave in to the imposter complex, believing that there was no way they could possibly top that. So they didn't try. 
that it's just a matter of time before this all crumbles beneath you. You can't trust the praise of others is line number 10. Line number 11 is you're going to have to fake it till you make it. And line number 12, I know, I know, I know. Right? <laughs> that's my, that has my heart, that one. <laughs> you're going to have to fake it till you make it. I know, I know, I know. Um, and line number 12 is asking help is for suckers or for the weak, right? Don't Ooh. ask for help. Don't ask for help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Each one of these lives has one, two, or all three objectives. And that is to um, have you stay out of action doubting your capacity or alone and isolated. Some of them do all three, some of them do one, or some of them do two. So where are you at now, Mickey? Where did, where did that take you? Oh my, like I'm just taking a moment to process mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, these lies. And so the first one definitely hit me the hardest. Self-doubt is proof of your inadequacy. I thought, oh my. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh gosh. Out of all of them, that was the number one core hitter so mm-hmm. that's interesting I think that you know we've done we've run the numbers we've done a couple of different surveys with Hootsuite which I love to name drop um, <laughs> and we have found that self-doubt is proof of your inadequacy tends to be one of the biggest hitters mm-hmm. uh, line number four you have nothing original useful or valid to say yes that one too that one. you know we have this belief that it's been said before by other people smarter more brilliant than we are so what's the point mm-hmm. and here's the truth it has been said before i'm literally telling you about something that was named back in 78 that apparently buddha was talking about well before that but nobody has ever talked about it in this particular way through my lived experience and lens of understanding and talents and skill and will. And nobody ever will, right? Mm-hmm. So my way is my way. And my people can hear it on my way. And that's my invitation to you all as well. When you believe that it's all been said before, right? Your way is the only way that your people will be able to hear it through your lived experience. Yes. And then the third grandmama like the outlier would be you're not ready yet Mm, yeah and i think it's because we like this yeah but i i I will be soon because of that overachieving you know value of excellence that value of not you know okay i can i I really 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 want it to be perfect and i can have it be perfect but it's just not perfect yet so i won't but the truth of the matter is is that two parts everything that you have done and created and sold and healed and survived has prepared you for this precise moment when that person hands you the mic or you've been asked to lead the team or that launch or whatever it is everything that you've done has prepared you for this moment in time and the second piece is no one was ever fully fully ready for anything the pencil can always be just a little bit sharper but it's sharp enough to say and to write what needs to be said and written. You're ready enough. Oh, just letting all of that sink in. <sighs> okay. Also important though, to tell us, to know, to, to just, just to sit with the andness, the nuance, the complexity of the fact that the imposter complex also presents with one truth. And that there, get ready, folks, there is room for improvement. There is room for more. And so when I know that truth, I feel a beautiful blend of of relief, but also a little bit of grief. 
mm-hmm. because on the one hand, you know, we're experiencing this because of our deep love of our work, our deep love of our mission, the world we are trying to change. All of this matters deeply. That's the other part of the good news. You know, yes, you're experiencing it because of the values that you hold dear, but also because what you're working on and where your imposter complex has been rankled because this matters. So yes, there's always going to be room for improvement. Your job, though, is to continue to stay in action, make sure that you are not dead in your capacity, and do not, by God, but whatever, whatever else, do not go this alone. What, you know, there's your desire for more is your prerogative, and there's always going to be room for improvement. And I think that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. So we just need to find our own ways in and to not allow it to keep us frozen in inaction. So earlier when you spoke about it's not about just like completely eradicating imposter complex in your life, but actually about having this faster recovery. So how does that happen? How do we, I know that's like a whole episode, whole, whole workshop, whole course <laughs> in itself. But if you could, you know, just summarize in a nutshell, like how can we like start to make friends with it? Because once we understand why it's here, how can we start to move forward with that? Into? So, First of all, when you have a look at the 12 lies, there's always going to be a reframe, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're, you know, for you, Mickey, you said that the first lie, self-doubt is proof of your inadequacy, is what is most up for you. So when that lie shows up, follow it up immediately with, actually, self-doubt is proof of my humanity. That's what it is. It's the way that I'm able to do the impeccable work that I'm doing because I'm so highly relational, because people feel connected to me, because I'm calling a thing a thing, because I am not shrouded in the veneer of perfectionism, because I'm allowing people to see those undulations in my confidence that, yes, of course, I am extraordinarily powerful at what I do and I'm human, which Mm -hmm. means I'm going to wobble. And people hear that and see that and know that and go, ah, that's my person. So there are reframes to each and every one of the lies. That's why I think it's really important to call, to name these as lies. And again, these are, you know, these are all deeply personal. There's no one size fits all. All of this requires context and nuance (laughs) and always, you know, does require some discernment as well. I'm a Libra and life coach. So I like to see the (laughs) both ends of everything. So when you find the lie that you typically believe the most, challenge it with the reframe, right? So that's the first thing. Just remember that the, the, for every lie, there is an ancillary truth. If the, and I really want to get into some of those behavioral traits as well, mm-hmm. but overarchingly, I will say that if it's trying to keep you out of action, doubting your capacity and alone and isolated, our strategies need to be focused on the same objections, right? Same objectives, pardon me. So if it wants to keep us out of action, we need to get clear about what's actually in the way. Mm. What is actually in the way? Are we dealing with realistic objections? Are we dealing with potholes that need to be paved over? Are we dealing with chasms that need to be filled? Are we needing, are we dealing with red herrings? Are we dealing with other people's projections? Are we dealing with any other people at all? Are we making this up? 
Um, are we dealing with inner critics? Are we dealing with systemic racism? Are we dealing with like, what are the things that are actually going on for us? I want to name also that my dear friend, Stacey Jordan Shelton, who's a former client of mine, talks about we are all having a shared space, but we're not necessarily having the same shared experience. Mm. So as much as I talk about the imposter complex affecting us, you know, because of our tribal need to belong. I also want to name that it disproportionately affects people who have been marginalized and oppressed mm. by the dominant culture. Yes. So for every concentric circle, we are othered from the center of the universe who I call Greg with his permission. <laughs> That's my husband. So the white, <laughs> able-bodied, cisgendered, neurotypical dude, like living in North America. For every concentric circle, we are othered from him. We are going to feel different because representation matters. So if we're not seeing mm -hmm. people at the very, you know, at the front of the room who look like us, who have the same lived experience, it's going to affect us by ability and class and race and gender and, 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 and there's a whole world inside of those ands. And that's the reason I have uh, my ready enough podcast. And it's called that because these are difficult conversations, but they're conversations that matter and they will mm -hmm. be happening and imperfectly but we're ready enough to have them. So I think that it's really important to name that piece that we all experience it, but we don't necessarily experience it the same way. So understanding what's actually happening that's keeping us out of action is deeply, deeply important. And sometimes it's going to be this piece here, and sometimes it's going to be that piece over there. And then if it's trying to have us doubt our capacity, we need to remind ourselves on a cellular level, all that we have done and created and healed and survived and sold and delivered and all of the things we've done because the imposter complex is because of its values of integrity, master and excellence. It never wants us to rest an understanding and an appreciation. It does not want us to celebrate our achievements in any way, shape or form. Uh, it wants us to continue to be moving on and moving on and moving on. But the ego wants to want more than it wants to get. So we are constantly bypassing all that we have done. I do it myself. It is probably the thing that I have to force myself to do the most is to sit down, track the wins, really, really, really internalize all that I have made happen. And it's quite extraordinary what I have made happen. And it takes, but it takes ongoing practice. It takes actually some yes. rigor. And then the third piece of it, it wants to keep us out of action, uh, sorry, dead of alone and isolated. <laughs> Our job then needs to be to make sure that we are getting social, asking for help, surrounding ourselves with the best, having the conversations with people um, that matters significantly. No one is supposed to go any of this alone. Mm. Yeah. Just absorbing so much today. <laughs> so Tanya, I know that we briefly talked about it, the different ways that imposter complex shows up, but I'd also like you to touch upon how the fact that it's very fluid. Hmm. So can you talk about how it shifts, it shapes shifts, as you say, depending on what kind of experience we're having at that moment in time in our lives? Yeah, thank you. So the other thing, so I just want to make sure that I'm underscoring, because of the complexity of this structure, our job really is to find out what is true for us. Okay. So your lived experience, my lived experience, they're going to look entirely different. So I do have to flatten the model a little bit so we can mm -hmm. all look at it, the same things, but I just really want to 
continue to name that it's going to feel different for different people. But there are six behavioral traits, like places that we are going to try to hide out in to avoid feeling like the imposter, because that's what we're really trying to avoid. We don't want to feel like the imposter. So again, those are perfectionism, procrastination, leaky boundaries, people-pleasing, diminishment, and comparison. And each one of these are our double binds, meaning we go to the behavior to avoid feeling like the imposter, but by hanging out there too long, we start to feel like the imposter. So it's this Mm. cognitive dissonant place. And then, let me just say that first. So So for procrastination, for instance, we don't want to feel like the imposter. So we're going to put it off, whatever the project is, we're going to put it off and put it off because we want to delay that experience. We have no idea why they invited us to do this thing in the first place. Oh my goodness. So we work ourselves into a tizzy, you know, we feel anxious, we've got sleeplessness happening. And then a couple of possible outcomes are are, are likely we're going to do the thing because we always do the thing because you know, this high functioning with strong values and mastery, integrity, and excellence. And if we said we're going to do the thing, we're going to do the thing. Either we're going to knock it out of the park, and we're going to feel pretty good for a nanosecond, right? But then we're going to feel that when people say you did such an amazing job, we don't feel like we did. We saw how little work we put into it or how mm. fast the work was. So we're going to discount their accolades. Mm. And we're going to feel like, they are just being nice, or we're going to feel like they don't have very high standards. So we're going to find whatever way to discount the value of it. Or we're going to do kind of a not super great job because all of that fear and anxiety and sleeplessness stockpiled, and we ended up not able to produce our best work. So either way, we are sitting feeling like the imposter. I don't belong. I'm not supposed to be here, right? So even though we are trying to avoid this feeling, here we are by having engaged in that behavior. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Sweet. So perfectionism is totally different, but it has the same ending. (laughs) We go, we don't want to feel like the imposter. We want to make sure that everybody thinks that we are doing a remarkable job. So nobody will doubt that we're supposed to be here. So we are going to work two to three times as hard as anybody else to make sure that our work is pristine, perfect, that it is without reproach. But then at some point along the way, we look up and we realize, wait, nobody else has to work two to three times as hard, just like I am. Well, clearly I'm the imposter. Everybody else is just kind of winging it. I am the imposter. People pleasing. This is actually my biggest tell. I said that, um, yeah, so building my capacity and then also this people pleasing piece, this continues to be my, my place. We will use folks who are people pleasers are going to use our charm you know, our, our likability mm-hmm. and to make sure that we are in the group, right? We want to make sure that everybody likes us. But when we are given opportunities at our worst, we are going to chalk it up to them just being nice. Not because we are deeply skilled and talented and excellent at what we do. And we are. But that's what, how that plays out. We go to this behavior, but being in this behavior has us feeling more like the imposter. Mm-hmm. Comparison, this is where we're constantly looking to see how we're stacking up to everybody else, but we're comparing our, you know, our B reel to everybody's highlight reel. Mm-hmm. So we're never going to stack up. So by comparing, we're finding how all of the ways that we are different, all the ways that we don't belong. Diminishment, you know, this is actually a, a place where maybe we start to believe that we're doing pretty well. 
but we don't want to feel too far out ahead of anybody else. We're going to diminish. We're going to diminish our wins, our, ex our experiences. And then we start to believe that less than confident bio. We're going to start mm -hmm. to believe that diminished story of ourselves. Right? Leaky boundaries. This is a place where we might just to go along with the crowd, we might stand in an opinion that's not ours. We might say no when we mean yes, or we might say yes when we mean no, just to make sure that we are in the group. But now we are standing in an opinion that's not ours, which has us feeling the truth that we actually don't belong because we are standing in a belief that is not our own. All of those get us coming and going, right? We go there to hang out, but then in hanging out there, we feel more like the imposter. So the shape-shifting part shows up when we get a handle on say the perfectionism, right? But then procrastination pops up. So, you know, or we, we have like a little clever mindset hack that has us getting into action, but then all of a sudden, you know, people pleasing is going to pop up. There are some natural allegiances to so perfectionism, procrastination like to work together, comparison and diminishment like to work together, mm -hmm. a leaky boundaries and people pleasing like to work together. But honest to goodness, they sometimes just ping pong off of each other. Mm -hmm. We got a handle on one and then boop, the next one will pop up. And this is very unique to us. So this is why one of the very first, when I work with people for over a longer period of time, I will have them really look at what their patterns are, you know, where they go from a place of inspiration to, you know, to a place where you know, they don't, they don't complete or, or they feel depleted, right? Inspiration to depletion is a typical pattern that I see. Uh, and I have people map it out. So what, like, what are the behaviors that are showing up? What is, you know, when is procrastination hanging out? Like when's diminishment? And some people will never experience all of the behaviors again. Again, we'd never get out of bed, but you most of us have some more natural affinities, some of us. And that's why I have the quiz on my site to help you discern. So that's how they shape shift. And there's no, it's really for us to recognize what's prop, what's likely to be next, right? If I want to, if I'm feeling very excited about something and I'm a people pleaser, there's a very good likelihood that I'm going to make sure that I get buy-in from all of the people. But then when I don't get the buy-in that I want, I'm going to feel this way about it. That's probably going to send me into some sort of procrastination, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe like, so it's, it's a kind of a build your own adventure that we've been living out <laughs> a million times over. And I think it's helpful to track it because we'll see that we get a handle on one and then something else reveals itself. So that's why it's so important to me for me to have sustained work and the leaders that I work with, we go deep and we go to address the entire structure, not simply the, the mindset hacks needed to get you out of procrastination and into action that works for a period of time. But until we've addressed the underlying hydra is what I call it, you know, it's going to keep showing up. Now, again, discernment, alert, ahoy, nuance, alert, ahoy. Again, in the self-development space, I think we use a very wide brush to paint everything as bad. So I want to remind us that, you know, your value or the reason you are predisposed to perfectionism is because you have a value of excellence. That's a good thing. You know, maybe you're, maybe you diminish because you have a very strong value of humility. That's a beautiful thing too. Your people pleaser part of you might be a strong value of inclusivity and also a value of safety, right? Mm -hmm. Again, if you're somebody who's been marginalized or oppressed in any way, shape, or form, 
it's really important that you please the dominant culture. So again, I just want to make sure that we are using a little more yeah, nuance again when we're looking at this. You know, leaky boundaries, you just might have very generous, you just might be very, very generous. And, you know, procrastination might be a strong value of discernment. So, and connection is usually what's happening when somebody is comparing themselves. We're looking to see how we relate to others. We're looking to see how we connect to others. So none of these intrinsically is a problem, mm-hmm. except when they keep you out of action, doubting your capacity and alone and isolated. That's when I want you to pay very, very close attention. So I, I, I'd like to make sure that people aren't making themselves wrong, but maybe mm-hmm. finding the way and going, okay, so my natural set point is perfectionism. So how do I get to that place of ready enough? What are my own metrics of ready enough? Mm-hmm. And that's a very personal exploration. As you were speaking, I just, I couldn't help but think of literally what just happened yesterday <laughs> because, um, I have been sitting on this for months, um, reaching out uh, and pitching Forbes. Mm. And I've been hiding behind the, oh, wait, but my new website isn't ready yet. And it, my new website just launched last Monday. And I thought, crap, <laughs> I've got nothing to hide behind now. And so that perfectionism, you know, that suddenly went away when my website was ready. But then I went straight into procrastination. And I literally was hyperventilating as I was sending this pitch that I had worked, you know, really hard to make it super personalized and, and to, you know, ensure that it's going to be of value to the audience who could potentially read it. And I just, (laughs) it just felt like, oh my God, like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But then I did, I did press send because the thing is with me, to help me move past my procrastination, I realized that my metric or like rather my way of getting out of it is actually telling people what I'm about to do. Yeah. Accountability. I, I told my team, I was, I, I was like, Annie, Lindsay, I'm sending a pitch to Forbes today. And they're like, yeah, you go girl. <laughs> you know? yeah. And that for me has always been my, my way of coming out of procrastination. So I think, um, as you mentioned, reframing what each of these behaviors like you know can do for us like what does it actually reveal about us you know Mm -hmm. so with perfectionism you know I definitely hold myself you know to a high standard so I knew that my previous website it didn't feel like it was a true representation of me and that was very apparent as I went through the rebranding process when that came out I was like yes this is it and then I felt people finally saw me as who I was and then the procrastination is just kind of like realizing that all the things I've been hiding behind they're you know they're front focused now and it's just a matter of me actually saying yes I'm doing this so I love how you describe each and every one and actually what it really reveals about a person and mm-hmm. you know let's absolutely link your quiz because I want all of my quite rebel listeners right now to really understand which one they may be you know up against right now and what it actually says about them and what they can do to actually move forward so before we link that up in the show notes, so everything's going to be linked in the show notes and you can tell us all the, all the things <laughs> of where to go and find you. But before we do, I'd love to round off this conversation, Tanya, because it's been absolutely amazing <laughs> just to understand, you know, why it's here in the first place, the lies that we believe, but why it's actually a good thing and just like how we can actually make friends with what, you know, these types of behaviors are like teaching us about ourselves. So 
if we could round up into just one gem of wisdom for our listeners today, what would that be? I'm going to cheat because you've said something and I would be super remiss if I didn't name it for you. One thing, one of my favorite, most world changing clients, Lena West one time told me if it weren't for accountability, she wouldn't get half of the things done. So you named accountability and not going any of this alone really beautifully for our listeners. So I want you to take it one step further because one Forbes does call the shape shifting that's going to happen next might be for you that you will likely diminish. So Mm -hmm. to set yourself up for success, make sure that you use that accountability and you say to your team, do not let me shrink back when the magnificent happens. Mm -hmm. Make sure that I am shouting this from the rooftops because that is likely your next shape-shifting moment. So you've addressed the perfectionism, you've addressed the procrastination in this piece, but now diminishment is most likely going to Mm -hmm. follow up. So get ahead of it and make sure that your team knows to help you amplify because this, you as this beacon of light, as this model of possibility, um, don't, let's not miss out on that opportunity to inspire so many others around you. Okay. Got it. Okay. (laughs) So nugget of wisdom, you are not alone. You are in extraordinary company. That's what I want absolutely every single person that's listening to know that you are in extraordinary company and that you don't have to go any of this along. That's the other piece. Love that. This has been such a beautiful conversation. I'm beyond happy that we finally managed to do it. (laughs) So where can all of our lovely listeners go and connect with you? Because I know they're going to want to be on that wait list for that book, um, myself included. So please tell us where can we connect with you um, until that beautiful moment. And also your quiz to help us really identify where we are right now. So tell us all the things. So thank you. So you know, my site's tanyageisler.com. tanyageisler.com slash 12 lies is sort of a deeper look at everything we talked about. And tanyageisler.com slash quiz is where you are going to be able to find out which of the behavioral traits tends to be the most up for you or is at least most up for you right here, right now. And one of the options is you don't need me. So (laughs) that's a great thing too. If you get that in that moment, then you're like, your Merc retrograde is nothing on you. You're just going full steam ahead. And that's a beautiful thing too. I do have some training that lives at your impeccable impact.com that helps that sort of dives a little bit into this more of the Hydra. So that's at your impeccable impact.com. And if you want to connect with me, have conversations with me, Instagram at Tanya Geisler is where I am. And I have a Facebook group called Overcoming the Imposter Complex. You can search for that and join us there. That's where we have very frank conversations about the imposter complex and you know this ongoing process of overcoming it time and time again. Oh, okay. We'll link all the things in the show notes. So my lovelies, head to the link in the show notes where you'll, uh, you'll be taken back to my website where you can find like all these places to connect with Tanya, whether it's going to be the quiz, reading the 12 Lives blog, Facebook group, Instagram, all the things. So... <laughs> Thank you so, so much. So Tanya, before I let you go, mm. I would love to ask you this question. So for those who are recurring listeners, they know what's about to happen next, but just in case this is your first time listening, my lovelies, 
this is a question I love to ask every guest. So when you hear the sound, it means it's time for a fun fact of the day. So I love asking all of my guests, Tanya, what is one weird fact or a fun story that you can share with us today that we can't exactly find online? So this is not the fun fact, but Janelle Allen asked on her podcast a couple of months ago, if it was a zombie apocalypse, what would I bring? And I said, oh, my writing pen, favorite citrine, my mom's opal ring. I t- completely thought she was kidding. You should have seen her face. It was like, oh, you are not kidding. All right, <laughs> let me just change my answer now. So here's one fun fact that's just really up for me right now. When I was in first year university, I told you my road, my road has been circuitous. I was doing French studies as a minor to environment and resource management. Go figure. I digress. So one of the courses that I did was a course on Molière, and I'm not sure how many people know about Molière, but he was basically the French equivalent of Shakespeare. And there was a play called Les Précieuses Ridicules, meaning the ridiculous, precious, whatever, um, so there is this very like silly, silly, silly young women. Anyway, I wanted the main role badly, uh, but it was a man. So they changed the whole role to be mine. And it was Gorgibus was the name of the character. And they changed it to Gorgiba. I mean, I could have done a man as well. And I got to wear like this ginormous stat suit. And it was just like, and just this completely outlandish um, costume. And it was wild and fun and nobody knows that I was Gorgiba in Les Précieuses Ridicules in first year university and it was like one of the most fun things I've ever done in my entire life so much so that I've been thinking about going back to some theater yeah oh oh you heard it here folks (laughs) beautiful oh I love that and okay the fact that it's not easily found online I'm guessing there's not pictures (laughs) that we could see no No, okay there's no pictures so lovely let's just imagine (laughs) the role that Tanya played in the play that I cannot pronounce so (laughs) I haven't thought about that in such a long time but my kid is doing uh she's in in grade 11 and she's doing some French I'm like I think you should pick that up and I just said that to her earlier this morning so that's why it's really up for me oh I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Really, really appreciate it. And honestly, this conversation has been absolutely beautiful and enlightening. So thank you so much for being here, Tanya. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your invitation. Uh, Thank you for how you show up in the world. It's extraordinary. Thank you. And so, my lovely, there we have it. So everything that we mentioned in today's interview will be popped into the show notes. So be sure to head for that link. And if you haven't done so already, I would so love it if you could subscribe to this podcast because that way you don't miss a single episode and another conscious conversation. And of course, if you feel cool too, I would so appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review because that really helps other quiet ripples find us. Ah, oh my goodness. Okay, another great episode. And so I will be back same place, same time next week for another episode of the Quiet Rebels podcast. So until then, my lovely, do take care and bye for now.